Hello, and welcome to this episode of You Better Hear Me. I am your host, Charlene McWilliams. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Will Jawando. Will, and I'm sure you're going to hear that name in the future because he is starting a fantastic career in politics. He is a councilman at large in Montgomery County, Maryland, and he represents more than a million folks here in the county. At large means that he represents everybody, not just one section of the county, but at large. And he's on several committees, one of them being education, another one, uh, one of his passion projects is uh, fair housing. And I have known William as I was introduced <laughs> to him when he was 10 years old, William. Now he's known as Will, you know, that's a cool name. Uh, William. <laughs> I, still go, I still go by both. I still you go do? Both. Okay. Okay. I sometimes slip and I say, William, William, that's so stern sounding. William, you know, when your parents use your entire name, you're in trouble sure. kind of thing. So, <laughs> I was introduced to him by his parents when he was a precocious little 10-year-old running around the publishing house here in Maryland where I worked with his parents. And I, I remember a couple of times I had to take him to the conference room, have a little conversation with him. Not that it, not that it meant anything, but I was just trying to, you know, impart some wisdom and then try to give him a little stern big sister talking to. But he has developed into such a fantastic, wonderful person. He is not only a councilman, he is a lawyer. He's a husband to Michelle. I'm sure that you'll, you'll hear him say that I am the husband to Michelle a lot. And he's also the father of four wonderful kids, three girls and one boy. And next year, spring of 2022, he'll add another moniker to his name. He'll be an author. He's going to publish his first book. And we're excited to hear about that. That book is called My Black Father. So, Will, welcome to our show. Thank you, Charlene. It's, it's great to be with you and uh, just really excited you're doing this podcast. And, and we won't talk about how much younger you were at that time, too, because you were pretty young yourself, you know, but yeah. uh, it's, it's great to be on. Great, great. Yeah, let's not talk about the past. We just learn from it <laughs> and move on. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to just give the listeners an opportunity to get to know you because I think that you have a fantastic future in politics or whatever you choose to do uh, because of the person that you are. And, and I'm so glad to have, have the opportunity to have seen you develop into this wonderful giver. So I want to get a better understanding. I want you to share with us why you decided to make a difference through politics. I mean, you, you got a training as a lawyer. And I know also that you were the one that turned me on to our former president, Barack Obama. When you started talking about him, I, I started paying attention to who he was because back at the time he was a senator from um, Illinois, you know, mm -hmm. representing Illinois. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And, and from Chicago. And you're the reason I started paying attention to him. And so whenever I think of politics, I think about what you might be able to give on that level as well. So tell us why you got involved in politics and didn't take another route. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, circuitous path and journey, but, you know, I wasn't one of these folks that nothing wrong with this, but, you know, because my daughter is, is saying she wants to be president and I'm glad about that. Um, our oldest Aaliyah, who will be 11 uh, next month. Um, but I was not one that really knew anything about politics or was that interested in it as, at a young age when, when you and I first met, uh, it, it 
kind of every step built on the other. Um, I want to start by saying I like I call it public service because you know there while politics is a part of the what you have to deal with and it is mm-hmm. you know you should be in it for the what it really is is which is public service you know you, you we are we, we are charged with whether you're elected at any level of government with representing the needs wants concerns of your constituents and trying to uh, make sure opportunity is there for all of the folks you represent and and you you're there to serve them to make sure they can access government that they can uh, their street can be fixed they can have a good school and so i think it's really important to to say that and remind our my ourselves and those of us who are you know have the privilege of being elected but also the public because you know we work for you and um while everyone should be respectful i think it's important right. to say that so um you know i i got into it both basically just seeing the inequities around me. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the easiest way to put it. You know, growing up um, in the Silver Spring area, obviously, you know exactly where my mom worked and my stepdad worked. Uh, but we lived uh, at that time a few miles away. And it was a world of difference, you know, yeah. as far as the access to uh, quality housing and amenities and safety. Uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon to just a few miles up the road from downtown Silver Spring to hear gunshots and to yeah. uh, see crime taking place and uh, to have teachers that didn't necessarily believe in you all the time and all those things. And and when I saw downtown Silver Spring start to develop, which you saw too, like City mm-hmm. Place Mall being built in 1996 um, and things started to change while I was like, oh, this is good. I, of, I often said, well, why isn't that happening in my neighborhood? You know, why aren't we getting nicer things? And what, you know, why is our, why am I waiting for our air conditioning to come on? And, it, and then it breaks down all the time and, you know, things like that. So really basic things that as a child, you're like, well, this just doesn't seem right. You know, right. and at the time didn't connect that to, you know, public policy. But, you know, as I got older and saw these different types of disparities really culminating with the loss of a, a really good friend of mine uh, to gun violence uh, when uh, when I was in my early years of college, I saw that all these things kind of were connected to uh, either access to opportunity or lack thereof. Um, and that really upset me and that, you know, my friend would pass away because he didn't have access to things like a great uh, after school program or, mm-hmm. or schools that uh, got him the, the resources he needed, that his mom had to work several low paying jobs. So she couldn't be around as much, you know, right. that the bus she took was always took two hours to get from one side of the county to the other, because we hadn't invested in in transportation infrastructure. I started to see that all these things were connected to policy, policies, right. decisions that were made to either budget for these things or not. And uh, when I realized that, you know, I got upset and didn't know what I was going to do about it, but I, I can really trace the the path that I was on from that young age to investigating the, the reasons for those disparities and then trying to do something about them, both from individual standpoint, but also collectively. Yeah. And that's amazing because a lot of people will see those inequities and not know what to do and not even want to get involved because they feel like it's bigger than them and that whatever they do might not have any kind of effect on a positive change. So what made you believe that you could be a part of a positive change? Well, you know, it, it's uh, one that I just, I knew I could do something, you know, whether it was 
if I saw someone who's homeless who needed some food, I could give them a dollar, right? Or, you know, small things. Then I I knew. And then over time, my mom would say, I always have my little soapbox. And you you mentioned I was a precocious (laughs) child. You know, I I would speak up. So I realized I started to realize I had a voice, right? Right. As we all do, right? Early, early. He had a voice early, everybody. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I could use that voice for you know, for, for good and, 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 and for evil and for whatever, but, you know, but, 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 you know, to speak up for others and, uh, and that there was power in that. And then Mm -hmm. I think when I saw, um, you know, I started working in politics and public service, kind of like the formal business of it at Catholic university, when I started uh, a chapter of the NAACP to help organize uh, the fragmented and small black student community, but also to speak up for the mostly African-American workforce, the janitors, the food service yeah, workers in um, the landscapers. And, and I started to design, I went to, went around and collected people to sign up for the chapter of the NAACP mm-hmm. and to charter a new one. And then the school denied it. And we, and uh, mm-hmm. became a big story as my first time, you know, uh, in the paper about something controversial Mm-hmm. And uh, the headline was Catholic denies NAACP, and we had to protest for months. And I got s- kind of swept up into all this politics and uh, controversy, and we were marching up and down Michigan Avenue. And yeah. we ended up getting the chapter, and and that for me should kind of pulled it all together, and said, you know, the showed me the power of organizing, the power mm-hmm. of advocacy, and and through that I got in it, my first internship on Capitol Hill because the head of the NAACP DC branch at the time who supported our protest and our effort to charter a chapter, her day job uh, was she was a senior advisor to Nancy Pelosi who was then wow. Democratic leader, and uh, she said well you should come be a law fellow. I was entering, entering my first year of law school. She said you should come be a law fellow in our office, and I did, and then the world just opened up. You know Katrina happened. I saw what. The devastating consequences of the lack of investment uh, in yeah, infrastructure, infrastructure and when, yeah. when, you, when you neglect people. So, so it just kind of grew from there. But that's how I really got into the. That was my first job in politics. Amazing, and you're right. At just starting at the ground level of seeing the need of other people and and what can be obtained by getting together and organizing and having people hear you, having a having a group of people hear you is important. And I think that. One of the things too that that is interesting about you is the fact that um, you you come from a mixed race family, and I think that's another uh, sort of thing that when I think about politics and I think about Barack Obama, it reminds me of you too because I'm like he comes from a similar background. How has that affected you, and how you or has it affected you? How you look at public service and politics, and I wanted to also see how that might have affected how you came out, your voice came out during the Black Lives Matter movement. How did that affect your thought pattern and, and what you wanted to accomplish? Well, you know, my mother has always said to me, you know, my mother is, you know, from early age, um, you know, she, her and my dad divorced, obviously a Nigerian dad mm-hmm. uh, and a white mom who's from Kansas. They met in Kansas. My dad came over on a scholarship uh, on the tail end of a civil war in, in, in Nigeria, like many Americans seeking opportunity mm-hmm. uh, and a, a better a better life and they got together and divorced when I was six but my mom was very clear uh, from as early as I can remember that you know mm-hmm. you are a young black man you you're yeah. going to be perceived as such by society um, and there was that we're your family obviously but 
you know, that's, she was very uh, clear and transparent about that um, mm-hmm. growing up. And so I knew both from her and from society, just how, you know, I, by uh, walking up Wayne Avenue in Silver Spring, when I was 10 years old, I got called the N word by an older black woman uh, because my book bag brushed against her. So, you know, so I had oh, experienced wow. racism, you know, at a young age too, like most people do at some point, um, mm-hmm. most people of color. And, and so I knew I was black. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, uh, but I also knew my mom was white and my grandmother was white and I had family that owned a farm in Kansas and, you know, that right. was part of who I was too. Right. Um, and so, uh, I don't want to say cognitive dissonance. It was just like, you know, that was my family, but I knew who I was. Right. And I knew how the world which was would treat me and perceive right. me. And uh, and so, you know, I've always been, you know, I'm a, I've always identified as as black. There there had there was some time growing up, and I think this is one of the things Barack and I share in common with a lot of mixed race people, you know, trying to find your place, like, you know, because kids are mean, particularly as you get mm-hmm. into middle school. Um, right. Are you black enough or do you fit in? Okay. Which group, which group do you fit in? The human, right. you know, where do you go? And, you know, I, I have a birthmark on the side of my face. So, you know, people are like that's the white side coming out and all these, all these mean things. <laughs> it's like man, them, them a lot of fights. But yeah, I, but I've always I always knew I was black and always was perceived that way and felt that way. Um, and so when I speak about standing up for the communities of color and for black people and, and talk about police violence and I'm well aware of where I sit because I've experienced it um, Mm -hmm. myself and uh, I do so from a place of firsthand knowledge. Right. And your book is going to come out, like I mentioned, in the spring of 2022. And the title of that book is My Black Fathers. You want to you want to give us a little bit of an insight or a little bit of a teaser about (laughs) (laughs) what that's going to cover? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 my it's actually um, it's going to be called my seven black fathers. Um, oh wow! Yeah, the the men who made me whole, and uh, you know, it's telling my life story you know, through the lens of these seven black men. Some of which are my actual father or stepfather, and others who were surrogate fathers mm-hmm. uh, who had a big impact on me. And one of them is our mutual friend Jay Fletcher. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, we have some others, you know, Barack Obama is one. And, yeah. and you know, it will tell the story of uh, black fatherhood and kind of lay to hopefully laid to waste some of these stereotypes that are out there, but also the, the power of it, uh, the demystifying that that it what it is, you know, putting to bed some stereotypes, the different forms of fatherhood for black mm-hmm. men that exist. Uh, the types of relationships and mentorship relationships that exist and that are that can be extremely powerful uh, and how they were powerful in my life um, and made me and are making me who, who I am today. Join me next week as I continue my conversation with Will Juwando, councilman at large in Montgomery County, Maryland, as he talks more about his passion for public service and his upcoming book, 